Savior who died for our sins, who atoned for all of our sins. Lord, so we might stand before a holy God, pure and blameless, with hearts able to worship before you. Lord, we pray now as we come before your word, Lord, do the miracle of softening our hearts and teaching us, God. We ask for your help in this hour. In Christ's name, amen. We are continuing in Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame, walking, the blind, seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to them and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread for such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they looked up, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending the crowds on their way, he got into the boat and went into the region of Magadan. He said when the crowds saw these miracles, they wondered, they marveled and glorified the God of Israel. Now, if you were here when we did the feeding of the 5,000, you're going to find that a lot of the themes that we talk about in this particular parable are the same because Jesus is doubling down with a twist. He's doubling it down but there's a twist. But when you, when you talk about this particular narrative, like you cannot open a commentary on this without the commentator addressing the fact that, or trying to defend the fact that there are two feedings of crowds. There's the feeding of the 5,000, there's the feeding of the 4,000. And, and really the reason why this is brought up is because we're at this point on the defensive. So I'll remind you, and I think you might know this if you spend any time reading the inter- things on the internet or talking to people. Um, that if you talk to people about Christianity, if you talk to people about Jesus Christ, the, the narrative, the secular narrative today goes something like this. Yeah, there's this guy, his name was Jesus. He was a social revolutionary. He died on the cross. He didn't rise again. But his followers were so enamored with his teaching that they just continued to, like, to tell his story, tell his story, and like push the revolution on, the revolution of love, and eventually, like a hundred years later, like worship, like awe became worship. That they started telling like embellished stories about Jesus, where he was actually doing miracles. He wasn't just a revolutionary; he became a prophet. And then he didn't just become a prophet; he became God Himself. And so, really, Jesus is just a historical figure that slowly began to. Imbue, become imbued with divinity. And after that happened, it became a religion. And so you say, well, where would you, see, like, where would you get this from? Like, what, what evidence do you bring to the table? And they say, well, I mean, have you read the Gospels? <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you read the Gospels? You know, 
So what was happening? Like this community had a little story, that community had a little story, and they just kind of compiled all these stories together. For example, there's the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. Two, like, it's just basically one community had it this way, one community had it this way, and they just threw them together, and now there's two tellings of the same story. It's like, are you sure? I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess so, but there could be another explanation. It happened twice. That, that is possible, right? And another issue, like, with moments like this is, like, our culture just doesn't get behind miracles. Like, miracles don't happen. We are rational. We are scientific. We need evidence. Um, we have medical science. But um, what you're talking about, the deaf, hearing, the mute, speaking, the lame, walking, I mean, scientifically, we know this doesn't happen. And so while that culture may be prone to believe it, really, America, we're Americans for 21st century, we should know better. To which we reply, look, we actually think this is eyewitness testimony. Like, you think, like, we're kind of astounded by the fact that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. So were they. They marveled. They'd never seen anything like this. And it was attracting crowds. People were, like, getting up and walking through wilderness to get to Jesus. Like, who does that? People who are in shock and awe at what's happening. Now, there are these two stories, two different crowds, different details, but there's something interesting about these details. For example, when the disciples collect bread, it says they collect it with baskets. Now, I'll, I'll tell you in a little bit like why we know this, but Jesus is on the, oh, I have to do this right, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The last time he fed the 5,000, he was on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. They were different cultures. They had different baskets. They had different words for the word for basket. So when he's on the western side, Matthew says he used a, basically a Jewish basket. And when he's on the other side, he's using a Gentile basket. And you say, oh, what a really odd detail to put into like similar telling stories. Or were these details that Matthew saw? The first miracle occurred over the course of a single day. When he fed the 5,000, remember, Jesus got news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. He got on the boat and he just left. The crowd's like, whoa, Jesus, where are you going? And they like, track him down. And they, when, when he lands on the other side, like, they're waiting for him already. And it's like a single-day event. They didn't pack food. They just got moving. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the day, they're out of food. And so Jesus says, you know, they're out of food. Or actually, the disciples said, they're out of food. And Jesus says, I know. I'll take care of them. Whereas in this case, like, Jesus had just come down from the northern, like, north of Israel and come to Galilee. And, like, the crowds kind of begin to trickle in. And then they come and they come and they come. So, like, this time is not, not as spontaneous. People are packing up and going out there. And three days later, they run out of food, and then they address the food issue. So there's all these like, details that it's like it's just not spontaneous. It's like there are these, there's events that happen, and they're grounded with locations and details and words of talking about different things there. This is eyewitness account. Matthew was there. He wanted us to know what happened. Because what was happening was so amazing and so spectacular that, yes, it blows the mind. The blind see. Have you been, like, it's kind of this thing right now. Have you seen they have those glasses that help with colorblindness? Like, there's these, okay, go on YouTube, Google, like, colorblindness. Yeah, yeah, go. Like, glasses, colorblindness. And so there's a company that figured out a way to, like, put these lenses to help people see color. Now, okay, like, skeptical stuff. I'm like, what, really? Okay, like, maybe they're faking it. I don't know. But you watch these videos. What Literally, what happens is they... They put on the glasses. They're skeptical. Like, like, what's this? Do what? It's supposed to do what? And they put it on. The first thing they do is like, like that. Literally every single time. Because it's like, it's, like, it's like something's like jumping at them. And then almost every single time, they take the glasses off and they start crying. Like, what type of reaction is that? That's not, you can't fake that. That's real. That's like spontaneous. So now, that's just people seeing colors for the first time going, that's, that's purple? Oh, that's what you've been talking about. And just like, and they're just so like emotional and awestruck and just an awe and everything's happened. Imagine not colorblindness, blindness. Can you imagine the visceral reaction these people would see? You couldn't fake it. People like people are watching people see for the first time and their reaction and then their adoration of Jesus and their, their gratitude. Mute, speak, which means not only. Do they get the ability to start talking? And, and in this case, one of the stories, if you look at Mark, is 
It's like it's someone who can even hear. And so, like, if you can't hear, you can't speak. And so, like, Jesus hears, heals his deafness, and then he learns language. Like, what type is that? I mean, it would take our society, like, years and years just to get that person caught up, but Jesus just fixes it. The cripple and the lame, they're walking. They're helping. And then if you think about Acts, when the cripple at the gate was healed, what was his reaction? Like, leaping and jumping and praising God. Just think like little Maranatha song, right? Like, because that is the reaction. That the, like, that's what this crowd is doing. Marvel and praise and worship. And Matthew is inviting us to marvel with them. He experienced that on the day, and he wants us to see it. They were watching Jesus as the Messiah reversing the effects of sin in these people's lives. And, and then they want that for us. John, 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. Now granted it's John, but like, I'm sure Matthew completely agrees with the statement. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life that was made manifest. We have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim it to you. The eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That we who have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also why. So that you also may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy, our joy may be complete. We weren't there when Jesus did this. But somehow, by receiving this word with faith, we see it. We see it in a different way. And we begin to experience it. And we receive eternal life. Okay, so yeah, maybe we don't see the miracles in quite the same magnitude as when Jesus is here, because after all, it's Jesus here. He's coming again. But as Paul says, even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, he gives, Matthew gives like these summary statements. Here's what happened. These people marveled. They worshiped the God of Israel. And then he tells the feeding of the 4,000. And in some ways you're like, not to be like trite about it, but yeah, 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 yeah. We know he does this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what else do you want to tell us new about Jesus? And, and if you just like scroll through the rest of us, like going through Matthew, he's like, you know, does he ever give like summary statements? Like, here's all the miracles Jesus did. Not really. He just, he goes on. There's teachings and teachings and teachings. He never really revisits like these broad summary statements the way he just did. So you, you can say, you know, Papyrus ain't cheap. Leather ain't cheap. That's what they're writing it on. Like, why is he taking time to write this again? Why again? Because, like I said, Jesus is doubling down with the twists. The important distinction between the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracles back then and the feeding of the 4,000 and the miracles going on right now, these are Gentiles. These are Gentiles. Okay, make sure you understand. So Jews are God's people. God's people with whom God said he was going to bless them. And they're waiting for the Messiah who's going to save them, the king who's going to rule over them. And the Gentiles like everyone else. So think about it. Your comfortable bubble, everyone else. Like everyone else you don't want to hang out with for like a variety of reasons. You don't want to hang out with people that are kind of outside your cultural bubble. So, and, and there's a little bit of a disdain that people have towards the Gentiles if you're a Jew. Because they are pagan, they are sinful, and like, they're just not God's people. Now, reasons why we know that these are Gentiles. So first of all, context. So two weeks ago, we were preaching, and Jesus, like, who had been like, around Galilee, and like, around the Sea of Galilee, and like, on the eastern side and the southern side, all of a sudden he just goes up north to Sire and uh, to Tyre and Sidon, which is like other people's country. It'd be like saying, and then they went to Russia. And, and, the, <laughs> okay. and then the disciples are going, why are we in Russia? 
like, what are we doing here? Like, no, 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 no. And so there's like, like you can imagine they're feeling uncomfortable, like, Jesus, you know, keep a little more north than we're supposed to be. And then that, remember that lady came? That woman, she, she came and said, she, she had the daughter who's sick, and so she came and she was like making all this racket, and the disciples were like, come on, this is not awkward enough. Like, go away, lady. And she says, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, Son of David. And there's that, that interesting, so Bob brought this out. If you want to listen to the whole sermon, it's online. But the gist of it was like, she's claiming, hey, you know, David's son, Israel, Messiah guy, you, help me. So he's, she's like recognizing like Jesus' lineage as the Messiah of Israel. But Jesus does not respond to that. He doesn't respond to it. It seems like he rejects her claims to the blessings of Israel. Like, she's like, give me the blessings of Israel. He said, just kind of ignores her. But then the woman's persistent, and she has an argument, you know, you know, that I would just, I would, even if I get the crumbs from the table, I'd be happy. And the argument basically is like, if Israel is going to be richly blessed, then certainly there's going to be overflow. Crumbs, overflow, that would bless those outside Israel. And when she says that, she changes the way she refers to Jesus. First, she called him the son of David, Israel's king. Second time, she says, Lord. Lord. Your Lord. And Jesus says, that is great faith, and I will heal you, your daughter. So you had that whole argument about who is Christ to the Gentiles. He is Lord. And then he walks down to the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee and starts healing Gentiles, and starts feeding Gentiles, starts showing compassion to Gentiles. So Jesus is the King of Israel, yes. But remember what God had said to Abraham in the beginning. Abraham, in your seed, in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You'll be blessed, but the whole world will be blessed through you. And that's what this passage is showing us. There's another indicator that this is Gentiles, because this is the only time in the book of Matthew it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Clarifying the fact that not just God, not just gods, because everybody had their gods. No, 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 no. They're having a very quick change of mind about who's God. The God of Israel. That's the one that they're worshiping and praising because of this miracle. So if you recall, like Israel, when the, the nation of Israel, we talked about this while at the last sermon of the Feeding of Thousands. Israel was like a come and see nation. Like they're planted on the I-5 of the Mediterranean Sea. Like everybody's passing. And, and they're supposed to be like this light to the nations. Look at the God Yahweh. Look at how great he is. Like, he has sustained us, and he's been our protector, and he brought us out of Egypt, and he cleared this land for us. Look how great is our God. But then, like, like the people of hearts were hardened, and rather than, like, saying, how great is our God, they said, ooh, you have a cool God? I'll take it. I'll take it to your God. And they started just, like, every nation that came by, they are just, like, collecting the gods for themselves. And so rather than being the worshipers of the one true God, their God, the nation looked at them and was like, you'll take any God. Like, how great is your God if you'll take our God? Like, we're just passing through. Our God's, like, up in Mesopotamia, regionally. And you're, like, taking our God. Like, then obviously your God's not that great. And so it backfired. And so instead of being a light to the world, they became a joke to the nation. But here's Jesus drawing to himself crowds from all the surrounding pagan regions, displaying the glory and the goodness of the God of Israel. And they worship him. Jesus is doing what Israel couldn't or wouldn't do. Okay, and the final clue that this is Gentiles, if you look in the book of Mark, it says that he's in the Decapolis. Okay, so there's like cross-reference, like, and he's in Gentile territory. So the Decapolis is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Decapolis meaning like the ten cities. And that was a place, do you recall, when Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee and there's the demoniac, and he healed the demoniac, and the demoniac says, oh, let me go with you. And he says, no, stay, tell people. And then the pig farmer's like, Jesus, you got to get out of here. Go, 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 go. Like, you're ruining our profit margin. Go. 
And they're like, and they're afraid of him. Okay. Now, fast forward months, Jesus is back. And rather than say, get out of here, they're saying, oh, he's back. Makes you wonder, like, what that demoniac or the spirit demoniac had been saying and been doing that whole time. But that's the region that he's in. So, now that we realize that these are Gentiles, perhaps the disciples' response to Jesus is making a little bit more sense. They're still outside of the comfort zone, and it shows. And their response is in stark contrast to Jesus' compassion. Jesus is willing to leave his community. He's willing to leave his bubble. He goes to the others. He takes the initiative. He crosses the line. He shows compassion. He genuinely feels in the gut compassion for them. And in his mercy, he heals them. Now, a few chapters back, Jesus fed 5,000. Now, let me point out some of the differences in this versus that. In the first case, he's healing the Jews. It was the disciples who expressed concern. The disciples came up and said, Hey, Jesus, they're hungry. You need to send them away so they don't faint in the wilderness. This time, the disciples say nothing. Nothing. It's Jesus says, Hey, they're hungry. They're going to faint in the wilderness. So the first time it was the disciples who take the initiative. This time, Jesus is taking the initiative. Then, you almost, like, if, you, if you're not, not saying the context, you're thinking like, and Jesus says, well, how much food do you have? Like, and you'd be like, ding, 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 ding. It's like, oh, yeah, when did we go to this before? It's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, like, oh, remember? And they'd be all excited. He's like, like, how much food do you have? Not enough. We don't have the resources, Jesus. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want us to do about this. It's like they have zero expectation that Jesus is going to feed the crowd. They don't expect that God is going to provide for these people. I mean, they've already gotten crumbs. Really, Jesus? You're going to invite them to sit at the table with you and eat with them? But what Jesus commands, he intends for his people to obey. And he provides the means to fulfill that command. They will be the ministers of God's mercy, even to the Gentiles. And so it says, and so it literally repeats, he, they sit like you sit at a table. Like, and remember, just we don't do this so much. Sitting together and eating is a big deal in that culture. It means like we're okay with each other. Like I'm willing to spend time with you. Jesus, they all sit together. He blesses the bread. He passes out bread and fish and the thousands. Everybody's fed their full. It's, 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 well, not big C, little C. It's communion. It's fellowship. It's service and relationship. And that's what happens. This is a lesson Jesus had to press home with his disciples again and again and again. And it seems like again. It, it's just, it goes against our, like, our gut reactions on how we respond to people. Our gut reaction is to be safe. Our gut reaction is to stay with the people who are like us, that we feel comfortable with, that to eat with your family and your friends, but not eat with strangers, to eat with the people who are law-abiding citizens, but not the scoundrels. Like, that safety is something that we desire. But Jesus keeps pushing his disciples to go where it's uncomfortable. So in Acts, Jesus tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, I'm good. Judea. Okay. Samaria. Really? And to the ends of the earth. <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. I hear you. Let's start in Jerusalem. And so God does. 
thousand saved in Jerusalem. Judea, a little bit. But a few chapters in, they haven't reached Samaria. It's not happening. So God, what does God do? Persecution. Persecution. The church gets struck. They get scattered. And if you were looking for a safe place to go, maybe one place to go is right around the corner. It's Samaria. So they go to Samaria. Philip, remember Philip? Starts proclaiming the gospel. And Samaritans start getting saved. And Samaritans get the gift of the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. People are just blown away. Like, Samaritans? I mean, I guess our cousins, so it kind of makes sense. But then there's like the eunuch, like the guy from Ethiopia. And like the Holy Spirit like miraculously drags Philip to the eunuch, the eunuch who just happens to be reading the Bible. Like Philip says, hey, you want to help reading the Bible? He gets in the chariot. They start fellowshipping with each other. They sit down like man to man, comfortable. And Philip starts explaining the Bible to him. Eunuch gets saved, heads out. God miraculously sends Philip back to his ministry. Imagine like, kind of the surprise that the disciples are feeling like, oh, huh. This feels familiar. <laughs> the blessings of God extending. Well, you'd think they'd learn. But they didn't. Like, that was the Samaritans. They're still the Gentiles. What are you going to do about the Gentiles? How about the Gentiles? And so Peter has that vision. God divinely orchestrates events where Peter just has this freaky vision, which is like cool in kids' books. But could you imagine having a dream that repeats itself three times where like this like cacophony of animals comes down? And, like, and not just like animal animals, like the ones that you don't want to eat. Like, for example, imagine God having a bunch of maggots coming down. It says like, hey, Arise, kill, eat. And you're like, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like, we don't eat those. <laughs> like, that's like the visceral reaction. And, then God, like, and God does it again and again. And so finally, and so God says, what I've made clean, do not call him unclean. And he wakes up from his vision, and there's literally a knock at the door saying, hey, there's a Gentile who wants to talk to you. And, and so at this point, I, I think Peter's just in full surrender mode, like, okay, God, what do you want? And so he goes he meets the house of Cornelius. He shares the gospel with Cornelius. And they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. And he's blown away, but he's starting to get it. So he goes back to Jerusalem. And he says, you have to hear what happened. First of all, let me back up. Here's my dream. Here's what happened after dream. I went up there. They got saved. And they received the Holy Spirit. They said, when they heard this, and the, the apostles heard this. They fell silent. Their mouths were stopped. They fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles, God has also granted repentance that leads to life. You can't argue with this. It's what God wants. Very soon after that, you see the church praying, God, what do you want? God, what do you want? They're fasting, God, what do you want from us? And God says, Take Saul, take Barnabas, you send them. They're going on mission. And so Paul, Saul, same guy, they go and they do the first missionary trip. They come back, look what God has done. They do the second missionary trip, they come back, look what God has done. They do the third, look at what God is doing among the nations. You expected that when the kingdom of God would come, it was going to be a big, oh, big Jewish church. And very quickly it became a massive Gentile church. But don't miss the fact that they were uncomfortable. That they were afraid. Jesus expects us, his followers, to be uncomfortable because he told us, go. He didn't tell the people, come. They told, he told us, Go. You take the initiative. You insert yourself into their lives. You cross cultural divides. You leave the comfort of your neighborhood. You have uncomfortable conversations. You put yourself out there. You show compassion. 
You show mercy. Show love. Demonstrate this to the nations. And God, by His power, takes that small loaf, that small bread, as it were, and gives life. He multiplies it in the hearts of other people. So, Paul seems like a tough guy. I mean, honestly, I can't think. I mean, besides Jesus, Jesus is like super courageous. I always think that when, you know those times like you get so scared about doing something, you're like, I don't know if you ever feel this, this is me, okay. Like your mouth's dry, like I don't want to go have this conversation, I don't want to go have this conversation, I don't want to have to go to this conversation, but I'm going to have to go do this conversation. And like there's like all the turmoil and all that. I mean, imagine, I mean, just take that little feeling and multiply it by a billion, you've got what Jesus is all about. Like he goes and has the most uncomfortable conversations. He goes to the cross. Can you imagine the fear built into that? But he does it. Jesus is courageous. I think about Paul. I'm like, man, that guy is courageous. Man, what a guy. I'm not sure I could do that. And so you just think, like, Paul just seems like one of those, like, like maybe he's a little bit, like, socially awkward. And, like, he just didn't worry about those things. Like, you know those people who just, like, they, they, just, like, they, they feel comfortable just saying it. Like, that's not me. But, like, I imagine, like, Paul's just a guy who just say it. No problem. Like, if this conversation needs to be had, we're going to have it. Okay, well, let me tell you what Paul says about himself. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I wasn't trying to intellectually arm bar you into believing. No. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power so your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Aha, that guy was scared. He was shaken. Yeah, that's like me. <laughs> like, that's right. Fear, weakness, trembling. How do we overcome it? Like, what was pushing Paul? We put our faith, our trust, our hope about how things are going to go in the future put our hope and our identity in God. Why do you get up and breathe? Why do you get up today? Why? Because you are the follower of Jesus Christ. He has a mission for you. There is a purpose for your life, and part of it is to go. Let me read you another one that deals with fear. So in Acts, the... uh, Disciples preaching get thrown in jail. Kind of a scary moment, but they get let out of jail. Happy moment. But they were told, don't preach. And so they're in this moment like, what are we going to do? Well, we know what we have to do. God said, go. God said, proclaim. So it says in Acts, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the others had said to them. Don't preach. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, okay, so look what they're doing. They're freaked out, so they start praying. And here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. So first of all, just get a big dose of who God is and the power of that God has, and the control that God has. God, you're sovereign. Everything, this whole world is in your hands. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, so he's quoting a psalm, why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So in other words, he says, 
You knew this was coming, obviously. You knew this was coming. Because then they refer to events that just happened. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, the king, Herod, the governor, Pontius Pilate. In their region, it's where the buck stops. The top of the food chain. I mean, there's like Caesar, but he's not there. Okay, so you don't see Caesar. You see, you see Pontius Pilate and you see Herod. So there's Herod, there's Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and Israel. <laughs> there's like, there's no one on your side. <laughs> if Rome's against you, if the Gentiles are against you, if all the Jews are against you, there's no one else. You're on your own. So like, here's like everybody going against God and his work in Jesus. So in the city were gathered against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There was nothing, no persecution was outside of God's control. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with Help us speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, we are freaked out, God. The whole world has turned against us. We need you to make us bold. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God gave them the spirit of power. Where does our courage come from? It comes from God. It comes from His Holy Spirit who fills us, transforms us, compels us to speak the word of God. And by boldness, we mean that you do it though you're afraid. And God, in turn, works with power. So I think, so I am on a campus, liberal as liberal gets. And I can have a lot of intellectual debates about Christianity. And I have to be careful. Because what am I relying on? I'm relying on like my intellect to put them in the corner. I'm, I'm relying on all these things. And when you're trying to do that, it's really careful. To, like it's tempting to cut corners a little bit. Like let's not talk about health. Like okay, let's get around that one. <laughs> let's not go there. Let's talk about like take a while to get to Jesus. But Paul says, don't. You're missing the point. Give them life. Speak the gospel. Go for it. Yeah, stupid? Yes. It looks stupid. But, but, okay, I won't say stupid anymore. It looks foolish. <laughs> but God takes that foolishness in his power with his spirit and he starts working a miracle. So at the end of the day, that person who gets saved can only say, I don't know why actually. I'm not sure. Everything in my mind said, don't. But then God drew my heart. I couldn't but believe. Now, the argument goes, Jesus has compassion for other people. And Jesus does what's uncomfortable. He goes and he tells his disciples to go. Now, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Which means that we should start expecting to see in our own lives that same compassion for other people. If you're not seeing that compassion for other people in their plight, in their sin, if all you have for them is disdain and they brought it on themselves, 
to who cares. If that's what rules your heart, beg for God to soften your heart. Beg for God to soften your heart and love the way he loves. Because we are the objects of his compassion. We were the objects that needed his mercy. I can't let us go back to the tax collector and the Pharisee. And the Pharisee says, you know, God, glad you didn't make me like them. I got my life together. And the tax collector says, no, I don't. And God says, who went away justified? You've got to see that you are the object of Christ's compassion. You have to admit that I am the broken one too. You won't have disdain. You will have compassion. Like you got problems? Yeah, I know. I got problems too. Let me point you to the one who gives life, the one who gave me life. And don't forget. Christian, God loves you. God came to this earth to live, to suffer, and die for you. That he, became, he came to reverse the effects of sin in your life. Now, does this mean that he heals every infirmity? Because, boy, there sure seems to be a lot of suffering. So probably not. Yet, what we have is better than that. That, as Paul said, that though our outer selves are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, pointing to the fact that we will be raised, we will rise bodily, physically, incorruptible. Daniel chapter 12 says, and many of those who sleep in the dusty earth shall awake. So looking at the last day, they shall awake from ever some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. And that's not like either or, like you're one or the other. No, it's like classic Hebrews putting two things side by side. Those who are wise, those who turn many to righteousness. That is who we are. Individually, as a body. So Christ asks us to sit at his table. Fellowship. Enjoy life. And he asks us to go to other people, to other locations, and sit and have a meal so that we become, in a sense, what John was saying. We are telling you these things so you may also have eternal life. And when that happens when people from all tongues, tribes, nations, language, people, neighborhoods, when we all come together as the people of God, our joy will be made complete. So let's celebrate our unity together as we sit at Christ's table. If the ushers will come forward and the worship team.
the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown that old rugged cross I will ever be true His shame and reproach gladly bear Then He'll call me someday to my home far away where His glory forever I'll share So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown and exchange it someday for a As if Jesus is saying, I mean, what do you have to lose? Nothing. Like that which will be ultimately satisfying, ultimately worth it to you. It's found in me. It's found in my kingdom and my Father. So, hey, this world wants to crucify you, ostracize you. Come on, take up the cross. Come in with me, right? You've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. For I received from the Lord, which I have also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Father, I know my own heart. Lord, I need help. 
Lord, I don't feel compassion the way Jesus feels compassion. Lord, give me your love. Lord, I don't feel boldness the way I ought to feel boldness. I'm too caught up in my own identity and my own kingdom and my own abilities. Lord, Lord, break these idols from my heart. Lord, let me trust you. Let me trust the power of Christ. Because that's what has power. That's what transforms. You working through the message of Christ through your Holy Spirit. That's what's going to do it. So God, I pray that you help us to overcome our fear. Give us boldness. Lord, I pray. Lord, do what it takes. Lord, if that takes persecution... do it. Lord, if that takes divine appointments, Lord, please do it. But God, I pray that through this body, through us, your gospel will go forward with power. That lives will be transformed because of the grace that you're working in us. We can't but help read your word, feast on this gospel, enjoy our Christ, be amazed by our Christ, and not be changed. Lord, it cannot happen. So we ask, take these words, take Christ, and transform us. So that your glory spread. We ask this in your name. We ask for the help of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you stand to close.